following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We'll be looking at uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 8 to 12. And uh, I just want to thank you all for being here this morning, family, faith family and friends. And uh, to everyone else, I don't know if you realize, the pastor spoke about a couple of times, but our church website has the sermons that are preached on Sunday online. And there are people all over the world that listen into our sermon series. And... Uh, one of them, I know for a fact, uses it almost as their uh, their their Sunday morning service. So, we we thank you for listening, and and we thank you for being uh, here this morning. And we need to kind of ready ourselves this morning to dig deep into God's Word. We're also going to be observing the Lord's Supper this morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to that, sharing that ordinance with all of us this morning. So let us pray. If you would. Father God, we just ask you this morning to be in our presence. Have the Holy Spirit just come and encourage us, lift us up, clear all the the crud that we have going on in our minds right now about where we're going for lunch or whatever the things are that we have crowding our, our thoughts this morning. Let us just open them to you. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. God, you are a living God. You're not a stagnant God. And the words that you give us are meant to put into action daily uh, to, our, to our reality. And each and every word you tell us has relevance to what we are today. And Lord, I just ask this morning that you uh, use me as your vessel. And Lord, just to ensure that I preach the word that you want preached. And I pray this in your son Jesus' most precious name. Amen. So I have two questions this morning. There'll be a test at the end. Uh, We won't grade on the curve. So, Uh, What is the unpardonable sin? And then have you committed the unpardonable sin? I'm going to get a little personal this morning, so if you don't like it, take it up with the Holy Spirit. He gave me the message. Okay? <laughs> Just, that's the caveat for today. So again, I'm excited to share to you today's scripture, and, and I need for you to, instead of giving you a whole much more introduction, we, let's just jump into our scripture this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one under these seats, and if you don't choose that, this Sunday, I promise, Mary has assured me that the PowerPoint will work. But I don't have any cool pictures. So. But uh, <clears throat> don't we just love God's Word? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through studied the Bible. But every time I study it, it's like, man, I never thought of that before. And it's like the Holy Spirit saying, this is important for you today. So... So I, I want to put this morning's uh, scripture into context. Pastor has been talking the last couple of weeks, uh, chapter 11, uh, where the Pharisees are trying to trap him. And then last week we talked about hypocrisy, what's that mean? Um, and uh, sometimes it's hard to, for us to look in the mirror and talk about being a hypocrite. I had an old country church up in the, the Panhandle, and I was having breakfast at some place, and one of the guys said, hey, that's Pastor Fred. He t- he's up at uh, Greenwood Baptist. Introduced me, and I said, hey, would you like to come to church on Sunday? And he said, uh, no, your church is full of hypocrites. And I said, well, you know, you're absolutely right, and we have room for one more. So <laughs> come on down. <laughs> Anyway, let's go to verse 8 this morning. And it says here, Luke chapter 12, verse 8 to 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and to the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, verses 8 through 12, I think we're going to be looking at some of the more obscure, baffling things that Jesus said to his followers at that time. And I think it's often misunderstood also. What's he really saying? Words matter. And this morning at Get Ready, we, we looked at what does blaspheme mean? Or what does deny mean? Or what does fear mean? Or what does worry mean? Best way to figure that out is go to your dictionary and look it up. Because I think sometimes we misunderstand words. We think we know what they mean, but we don't. And... <clears throat> If we were to identify one of Jesus' more troubling statements for people throughout the years, it would be this. Reader's Digest version, the big question is, what is the unpardonable sin? And am I committing, or have I committed the unpardonable sin? Now, I can't begin to count the number of people who have, over the years, have come up to me and they've been broken or they've been shaken, and they're convinced they have committed a sin that God cannot or will not forgive. I was a chaplain in a prison for a couple of years, and I, I had one guy guilty of rape and murder, and he asked me, will God still forgive me? I said, of course. Repent, confess. Well, it can't be that easy. Well, it is that easy. If you confess with a contrite heart and you're completely honest with God because he, you know, he knows remember last week Pastor was talking about the masks God sees through the mask he knows who we are he knows our hearts so this morning I have three really quick verses one is calling out hypocrites uh, 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 three points I'm sorry the second is rejecting like Judas and three, being redeemed like Peter. Now, <clears throat> Christ, if you remember in chapter 11, he was calling out hypocrisies. Remember, in, he did that in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, 2. You know, Christ was at the zenith right there of his popularity, popularity with the people. You know, and sometimes fame brings huge temptations when we're motivated to simply please people. And Jesus was acutely aware of this. You know, for me, to be completely honest, hypocrisy comes to me as when I'm concerned about what you think about me. I'm human. I want you to like me. You know, Carmela might say, well, Fred's just a complete whack job. That's her opinion. She's wrong, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that, that's her opinion. <laughs> um, but, but Jesus warns us, he says, don't act like a Pharisee. And, and I think there are varying levels of hypocrisy. And even the most devout follower of Christ is a hypocrite at one level or another. Uh, yet the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that was a bold and blunt hypocrisy. It was a, if you would, a major league hypocrisy. It's like he was calling them out. And if you look back at Luke 11 for a moment, we better see that just who these religious men were and why Jesus b- boldly called them out. You might remember a few weeks ago, Pastor preached on this, and I, I want to read Luke 11, 53 and 54 for you. It says, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying and waiting for him to catch him in something he might say. So to really picture the invisible heart of these men, Luke used a vocabulary word, of some vocabulary, that refers to hunting. Anybody ever hunt? I was a big deer hunter for a while. You lie and wait. You don't move. You're going to catch him. When that deer comes out, you got him. And that's what they were doing with Christ. They were 
out to destroy him. And, and then later on, the same word is used behind the phrase uh, where it says lying in wait for him. That was used to describe, they, were, they figure it was about 40 men who had taken an oath to ambush Christ. And they were pursuing Christ as we would pursuing a wild deer. You see, the word hypocrisy comes from a Greek word that was originally used in the world of theater. And I'm sure you've seen the picture, the mask, one with the big smile and the other one with the big unhappy thing. And the Greek actor, he would put on a mask and he would wear the mask in order that his real self wouldn't be seen and he would be seen as playing a role. You know, each, I believe this, that each and every form of hypocrisy is fueled by pride. What other people think of me? What I think of me? You know? Have you ever worked with someone like that? Known someone like that? I like to use baseball examples. So it's kind of like some people who were born on third base think they've hit a triple. <laughs> they would just happen to be there, you know? A big ego drives us to worry about what others think. Pride. Pride. And the big ego drives us to hide our allegiance to Jesus because we're ashamed to be placed with such a crowd. Some people are tempted to think, I'll follow Jesus privately. After all, faith is a private matter. Is that what we're called to do? Matthew 28 tells us what to do. It's embarrassing sometimes, isn't it? We see things happening in our society and around our cities and communities, and sometimes we're just kind of silent. I'm not saying we should be out there with picket signs and all that stuff, but we take a stand for what's right and what's not right. And God's Word, we all say we love God's Word, God's Word tells us what we should be standing for. We should be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ by telling people, you know, we talked about this this morning, I don't know if Matt or Alex has said it, but we can take a stand, but you don't have to be offensive in taking a stand. You know, you can take a strong stance, I will not abide with that. Doesn't mean you hate the sinner. It means you hate the sin. God loves the sinner. And we'll talk in a little bit about what the importance of confession is. But we should not be ashamed of the gospel. That's one of the Awana verses. The first thing the kids say is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm an approved worker for Christ. You know, it's, if you wanted me to boil down verses 8 to 12, Jesus basically tells his followers, if you deny me, I will deny you. And, and many times we seemingly are afraid to reveal that we follow Christ in our workplace. You might be in the faculty lounge or in a college classroom. You could even be in the theater club at St. Pete High School. Simply anywhere we go, People should know that we're Christ's followers. should be by our actions, by our words, by the way we present things. You might think, well, but Jesus won't accept me, but won't Jesus accept me even if I deny him? You, you might say, well, you know, Fred, I, wasn't it you that said a while back that I do nothing to earn salvation? It was Jesus who does everything. So won't I be fine if I disown Christ? Now, there's a truth all over Scripture that I want to show you. And, and for those of us who are concerned about our lives and we feel the danger of our hypocrisy, let's do some turning back into the Bible. And we'll look back at Luke uh, 12, 8 and 10 uh, in, a, in a moment. But in Matthew 10, 22, it says this, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You will be hated. Luke 11, uh, 21, 19 says, By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And John 8, 31 to 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, 
If you abide or continue in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Remember when you first got saved? You couldn't wait to tell everybody, right? You know? I got saved the First Baptist Jacks, which has probably that Sunday, it was an Easter Sunday, maybe about 6,000 people, you know. And so Jerry, Dr. Vine says, with all eyes bowed, all heads bowed, eyes closed, uh, if, if you've decided to take the, sta- take the walk, walk up the aisle. So I walk up the aisle, Mickey the dunce. I figure everyone has their eyes closed and heads bowed. Well, after the church is over, everybody's out there, hey, congratulations, Fred. What do you mean? Well, you were on the big screen TVs. We, we, we saw you watch the eye. I said, so what about this head bowed and eyes closed thing? But, but, but I couldn't wait to tell people that I was saved. <laughs> I had a, kid, a guy who worked for me. Uh, I was, he was a stevedore. Now, stevedores aren't known for um, genteel language. And, and we all had... Uh, Nicknames and Mark's nickname was Maniac because he legitimately was. So we're at church a couple weeks later, and Mark comes walking down with his wife and his two children, and all of a sudden he was like a big chicken, a rooster. He put his arms out to protect his family, and he's like eyes got big. He says, "What are you doing here?" Well, I got saved two weeks ago. Awesome. One of his kids says, Daddy, is that the man whose name's on our refrigerator that we're supposed to be praying for? (laughs) I couldn't wait to tell him. I said, hey, Mark, you know, I'm changed. I'm not the guy you thought I was. So anyway. So if we can go to uh, 1 John 2.19, it says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it became plain that they all are not of us. It's a lot of us's and they's. And the contrast between they and us is striking. In the original text, the Greek, it appears five times. And there are two spiritual teams as John sees it. He sees us as the us and the them. But here's the gospel truth. Those who fall away from the church and from belief in Jesus Christ show, in my opinion, they were probably never saved. You know, if you, if you commit to Christ and you don't have a life-changing event, that the things you used to do, the things you used to say, the things you used to act out, if you don't start confessing about them and you keep doing it over and over and over again, I'm not going to judge but I would say that you're probably not showing the lifestyle that you're professing. And there's a lot of people that, you know, they say they're Christian, don't have a Bible at the house, can't remember the last time they went to church. Um, And I, I, I I feel terrible for them. I think perseverance is proof of God's possession. We keep trying. We keep trying. But when these people, who Jesus is talking about here, leave the people of God, and the Son of God shows them for who they are, what are they? They were totally and completely lost. But there is encouraging truth. God's hand is the one that holds us through our lives. Can't do it without God. I know I can't. If anybody can... Please see me after church and tell me what you're doing. Because, um, you know, John 10, 27 and 28 say this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that wonderful to know that when God says, I got you, the creator of the universe is there. No one can take him away from you, or you away from him. Now, we can give ourselves away, but Jesus says, I've got you. 
I'm holding you together. I'm helping you keep it all together. You know, it's because of the work that Jesus did. And he does it all through our lives. He helps us not to depart from faith. What's faith? Believing in things unseen, right? There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. You know? But I have faith. Sooner or later, I'll think when I, when I pass out to the Zerkli tent and I go to eternity, everything will be made known. Things I didn't understand. Why'd you let this happen? The arrogance of me. God, why'd you let this happen? Because <laughs> I said so. <laughs> it's how we react in those times. How we react to those times of testing and times of tribulation. So I want to again look at verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, now this is where it gets tricky, will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I, let me give it to you in a kind of like a negative way and then a positive way. If I stand up for Jesus, then Jesus is going to stand up for me later. But, and this is what I consider the scary part, if I deny Jesus, then Jesus will deny me before God. And to understand that, we kind of have to lean in and really listen to what Jesus is saying in verse 10. Jesus warns that speaking against the Son of Man, Jesus, will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anybody having a problem with that yet? The thinking behind Jesus' statements in verse 10 is to clarify Jesus' statements that he made in verses 8 and 9. So when we say that we... When I understand Jesus in verse 10, I understand Jesus early in verses 8 and 9 also. And the reverse is true. When we look at 10, we must ask ourselves this. What is the sin that will not be forgiven? Pop quiz. Do we believe the Holy Spirit is categorically 100% God? He isn't a force. He isn't the angel Gabriel. And a straightforward reading of the Bible sees three facts that seem to contradict one another, but in reality they don't. God is three persons, triune Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. And God is one. It's kind of hard to wrap around the axle every now and then, you know? But Jesus is as much God as... God the Father, he's no less God than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is no less God than God the Father. You know, the Holy Spirit is not a partial God or just a third of God. Each person in the Trinity, I believe, each entity has a a role to play in accomplishing and securing our salvation. The Father orders our salvation. He sends the Son to accomplish our redemption. And He judges our sin through His Son. But the Son must come to take on our human form and offer Himself as a substitute on the cross in obedience to the Father, bearing both our sin and the Father's just wrath against our sin. And then we come to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must apply His work to our lives, opening our blind eyes and causing us to behold the beauty of Christ so as we embrace Christ's saving work for us. I believe the Holy Spirit's job is to keep showing us the ministry of Jesus. Why why did Jesus come? To fulfill the Father's will. You know, the Spirit must apply this work to our lives. 
Only because God is a triune Godhead is salvation accomplished and made real for us. You know, some people will tell you, and I read a commentary that made this statement, the telltale sign of being a believer is the Spirit's presence in you. Backing that up with Romans 8 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, there's two ways, I believe, you can deny the work of the Spirit in your life. And this is where the rubber meets the road. We can grieve the Spirit like Peter did, or you can boldly and bluntly reject the Spirit like Judas Iscariot. So let's look at the rejection by Judas. I want you for the next few moments to consider the lives of both Jesus' disciples, Peter and Judas. Would you say that both denied Christ? They did, but in different ways. Judas' denies denial of Jesus is very different than Peter's denial of Christ. Judas, he was one of the original 12, right? He was the one who was the treasurer of the 12, and you'll find that in John 13. And he also stole from the till. And that's in John 12. And his love of money was so overwhelming that he betrayed Jesus into the religious officials, to the Pharisees. He led Jesus' enemies right to the private garden where Jesus was praying, and he did it for 30 pieces of silver. Now, Judas and Peter both denied Christ, but their lives go in opposite directions at the point of their denial. When Peter humbled himself and he came back to Christ, he came back to Christ. Judas felt terrible about his treachery he was. He returned the 30 pieces of silver, and then he took his life. Peter repented. Judas never did. Judas was, was, said, I betrayed an innocent man. Didn't say he betrayed God. He never acknowledged his deity. Peter's sin was forgiven where Judas's sin wasn't. In John 17, 12, it says this, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, so that scripture might be fulfilled. Talking about Judas. So what is the unpardonable sin and why did Judas' sin go unpardoned? Well, the unpardonable sin is, this, is also discussed in Matthew 12 and in Mark 3. But it's when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, telling us about Christ and his work on the cross, and then we have a callous, cold, hard-hearted heart that's grown so calcified that even when we see the love of Christ in others, even when we witness miracles, even though your intellect can't reasonably offer any other explanation, yet we stubbornly persist in long-term rebellion. We are guilty of the unpardonable sin. So let's go back to Judas for a moment and see three crucial components that make him guilty of what I consider a heinous sin. First point. It's when you have a clear knowledge of who Jesus was and, have a, and he had a clear perception of the Spirit's power that was working through people around him. It's when you willfully reject the facts of Jesus as they stare you in the face. You know, the, anybody have their Bible? This historical record, this, it's fact. It's not fiction. Jesus saw these people eye to eye, ate with them, slept with them, all that stuff. It's when we make malicious slander of the Holy Spirit by making him no better than Satan in some regards. Jesus, uh, Judas, he witnessed the miracles. He was there. He saw the 5,000 being fed. He saw the paralytic being healed. He saw uh, people being raised from the dead. He saw the, appoint, the anointed teachings of Jesus and the tremendous heart that Jesus had. Yet he sold them out for 30 pieces of silver. I do not believe 
that the unpardonable sin is a momentary slip-up and an act of rage. I don't believe the unpardonable sin is a careless one-time act that we might do. Instead, I think it's a culmination of all these steps. The unpardonable sin, in my opinion, is when we constantly smother the truth and stifle the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. You know, many people have rejected the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. In other words, it's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and it's a decisive rejection. Remember I talked about God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, who are you grieving? God. You're denying God. That's the key element here. When you deny the saving power of Jesus Christ, that God the Father sent his Son to take our sin debt, when we deny that, we grieve the Holy Spirit, ergo we grieve God. Many people, let's see, it's on a completely different level. So I want to give you a warning. It is possible to offend the Holy Spirit, or is it possible that you can offend the Holy Spirit and His convicting work will not come back to you again? I don't believe so. I believe you made a mistake. Peter did it three times, right? Deny, deny, deny. He came back and Asked for forgiveness, he was forgiven. Did Judas do that? No, he went and hung himself on a tree. So what the unpardonable sin isn't, what it isn't, you know, general terms. Some of us may live in constant fear that we've committed an unforgivable sin. When I was a kid, I was ra- I'm not beating up Catholics today, please don't take it that way, but when I was a kid, the Roman Catholic Church taught that an unforgivable sin was suicide. Can you find that in the Bible anywhere? No. Matthew 12, 8 to 12, tell you what the unpardonable sin is. You know, we make up all these rules. Nowhere in the Bible does it say suicide is unforgivable. Others might feel that the unpardonable sin is nothing more than just rejecting Christ. But you remember this guy, his name was Saul, later became Paul? He was a hardened sinner. He was a murderer of Christian Jews. But he came to know Christ, right? Wrote a couple books in the Bible, too. Pretty good if you get a chance to read them. (laughs) He was forgiven. I want to be kind of strong here. Some of us feel burdened and terrified that our sinful secret habit or our continual, habitual, reoccurring sinful choices will exclude us from God's presence forever. Some of us feel that way. I know I did for a while, about a year ago. And, uh, you know... Took a lot of soul search and praying. And I realized God loves me. No matter how stupid I can be. And let me tell you, just because I have a bunch of initials after my name, ask Cindy, I'm pretty stupid. <laughs> she's saying, yeah, sometimes yeah. <laughs> she's being nice to me today. <laughs> I think people who are ashamed of their sins. They have not committed the unforgivable sin. People who feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, who sense the piercing presence of guilt for having violated God's word, I don't think they've committed the unforgivable sin. People who are in fear that they've committed the unforgivable sin haven't really committed the unforgivable sin. So we reject like Judas, we're redeemed like Peter. And for believers, I don't believe it's possible for us to commit an act like Judas. 
Remember, man, it's 20 years now. Remember Casey Benal at Columbine? One of the bad guys came up to her and said, do you believe Jesus? And she said yes, and he shot her in the head and killed her. I don't think we have that problem in the United States today. But we do have the problem that a lot of us don't take the stand and confess what Christ has done for each and every one of us in our lives. We all have a story. I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. Nothing I did. It's by God's grace, God's mercy. Did I deserve it? Nope. You know, God's hand keeps us when we have the Holy Spirit. But it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And I think Peter's a great guide for us to see how it's possible to even momentarily deny Jesus and still be a follower of Jesus. The story goes like this. The very night that Jesus was betrayed, he's arrested, he's eventually crucified. Peter was straight up to ask three different times, Are you with Jesus? And each time Peter was asked his connection to Jesus, he says, I don't know the guy. Peter even cursed one time on one occasion to make sure everyone knew that he wasn't with Jesus. The Bible says, and when Peter denied Jesus for the third time, he and Jesus locked eyes, but he was forgiven. And here's the difference. Here's what we need to do to be forgiven like Peter. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what's so cool about that? We confess and God's Bible says God will forgive our sins, will forget our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know why he said that? I sail. If I set my sailboat on a course of 090, I'm going to keep going 090 all around the equator. But if I go north to south, I'll go 000 to the North Pole, then I head back down 180. So what he's saying is the east and west never meet if you're setting a course. And he used that because these guys were fishermen. They, they understood that language. So you can, he's saying, I'm never going to throw it back at you. You're forgiven. You know, I think we have to turn up sometimes the volume on our faith. My iPad just went crazy. Here are three, you know, Jesus offers us many reasons in our text this morning of why we should be bold Christ followers. He doesn't, you know, in Revelation, what's it say to one of the church? He says, I spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. He wants you either hot or cold. We, we, we can't take the middle ground. He wants us all in. Not, I'm, I'm okay today, but you know, maybe not tomorrow because something's happening in my life. And there's three reasons, I think, why we should be open and honest with people around us that we're Christ followers. Everything's going to be broadcast. Everything. Luke 11.2 says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. It's pretty indicting words right there, right? You might think you're pretty good at hiding. I might think I'm pretty good at hiding some of my sins. God knows them all. You know, there's going to be a day when it's written with a capital D. That's the judgment day. Every secret, secret on every secret sin on earth will be open scandal in heaven. Secret sin will be made public on judgment day. But every confessed sin will now be covered. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, "Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, 
but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. But it's more than that. Don't be a closeted Christ follower. Does our talk match our walk? You know what I recommend? Come out of the closet and follow Christ properly. People should be able to see us and know if we are Christ followers. And we have to do so now because there's going to be a day when it's all going to be made to full disclosure anyhow. And so while it's a warning, I think this message this morning is also a motivation. Because for the believer, every single act of kindness, even thoughtful private deed done in secret, is seen by the Father. And is known by the Father and will be rewarded by the Father. Second thing is we need to fear only God. You know, at times following Christ is scary because people make threats against the very lives of Christ followers. As I said about Cassie Bernal. A while back I was at a conference and I met this guy who had, he and his family had lived in Saudi Arabia for a number of years. And they were practicing Christians, but they were forced to worship underground. And in order to simply meet and gather together, they would have to go to this location and arrive in 15-minute intervals so the Saudi religious police wouldn't detect them. Saudi Arabia bans all churches. You have to smuggle a Bible into the country. Now, when I was in Desert Storm, coming to Saudi, the chaplains gave us little New Testaments, but it said good news on it. Didn't say Holy Bible, so the Saudis let them go through. They didn't know. Didn't say the book. <laughs> so that's how the military got by, giving out all these Bibles in, the, in Muslim countries. Whenever you share the gospel with Muslims, and I had a good friend up in the panhandle, Sammy, devout Muslim, but we would spend a couple hours a week uh, comparing, doing analysis of the Bible to the uh, Quran. And my, ex my experience with a lot of Muslims is they know the Bible better than we do. And they don't call it the Bible, they call it the book. But they know it. And so when we share them, sometimes, you know, we, we go to them and say, would you like to accept Christ publicly? But they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. So going back to the guy I was talking about, he and his family followed Christ, and they were living in Saudi. And when I asked him, well, do you do baptisms? How do you get around that? And he told me they would go to the desert. There'd be a resort out there and baptize the new believer in Christ. And they found the, a pool in the resorts, and they would go there. But they would have to pay off the workers there in order to keep their actions quiet from the authorities. You know, a proper fear of God frees you from free, fearing people. What do we fear? What is fear? We talked about it a little bit this morning. There's a difference between fear and worrying. I'll give you a good example. I will tell you I don't like spiders. Cindy will tell you I'm scared to death of spiders. I've been bitten by black recluse, a brown recluse and a black widow. If there's a spider in the room, I'm going to squeal like a sissy. Okay? Just say it. Now, I don't worry about them. Like, I don't come home and make sure that there's nothing under the sheets and checking my shoes. And, uh, and if they're there, I tell Cindy to kill them. But, uh, <laughs> so there's a difference between fear and worry. Fear can become all-consuming. Worry, you can get over it. Now, five times before, in verse uh, chapter 12, it talks about fearing God. I don't think what they mean there is that we should fear God like cowering in a corner and just waiting for bad things. I think it's talking about a reverential 
fear. That you honor God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, omniscient, and uh, omnipotent. And we just have to, we come to God in a posture of reverence. I hate it. My blood curdles when you talk to somebody and uh, believe in God. Oh, yeah, the big guy upstairs, he and I are tight. What? The big guy upstairs? Talking about God, the creator of the universe. You know, you're nuts. <laughs> he, he, we, but we're like that. You know, we, we try to make it like, yeah, we're cool. He and I are best friends, you know. But there's no reverence. The Spirit talks about when you go into the synagogues and the authorities are questioning you, what do you say? In Luke 11 it says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Have you ever had that moment when you, and I have it all the time when I'm up here, you know, it's like, where'd that come from? You know, I had no idea. It was the Holy Spirit working and changing stuff around, you know, and, and that's how it is. The Holy Spirit will put the words into our mouth. He will touch our hearts. You know, spiritual courage doesn't come from ourselves. I believe that true spiritual courage comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you see yourself in Jesus' secret service. You know, the secret service guys, you never know who they are, you know, except when they talk to their elbow and wrist. Uh, are you less candid with your family? and friends about your allegiance to Christ. Anybody have Instagram, Facebook, any of that stuff? Some of you do, I know. Do your Instagram followers know that you follow Christ? Do your Facebook profiles tell people you follow Christ? I know a lot of people that just says, no, 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 all the way down. Where'd you live? Don't care. Where, who do you know? They, they don't take a stand. Wow. We can't even put on Facebook that we're Christ followers. They don't ask you what denomination you are, because I don't give a flip. But what I do care about is you tell us that I'm a Christ follower. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, then what you believe in your heart always has to make it to your lips. Say it again. If you truly are a believer, what your heart believes has to make it to your lips. God knows and God loves you. And Jesus said, God knows even the sparrow. He's never forgotten one of them. And they were sold back in that time for pennies. They were worthless. They were just sparrows. On the other hand, we are much more valuable. And don't you think we'd sell much more than for a couple of pennies? We are made in the image of God himself. You know, we're at the top of the pecking order for all the things that God's created. And if God takes great care of sparrows, how much more will he take care of us? You know he knows the number of all the hairs on your head? So I was interested about that. Medical, and some of you might be worrying more than me, but... <laughs> Medical scientists say that if you, if you have blonde hair, you have about 150,000 hairs. If you're brown-haired, you have about 110,000. And my good friends, the redheads, they have only 90,000. God knows the precise number of hairs on our head. If the worship team come up, I appreciate that. There are really two types of people in the room today. And again, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not going to be harsh. 
but we're either Peter's or we're Judas's. Which one are you? Which one are you? I want to clearly leave you with this, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to believe it, that God loves you. In the final analysis, it doesn't matter if other people won't forgive you. It doesn't even matter if you can forgive yourself. The only thing that really matters is, has God forgiven you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for today. And thank you for just being an awesome God. That when we come to you and we ask for forgiveness, you guarantee us that we will be forgiven. Lord, I ask that when we go through our periods of denial of you, that we quickly realize that and we need to repent. Lord, the days are numbered. This morning, I don't know what your hearts are. I just know myself. If you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this morning, today is the day. Scripture tells us that if we admit that we are sinners, that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, that he suffered on the cross, died, and three days later was risen, and then we confess our sins, then we are forgiven, and we are Christ's followers. Then the hard work starts, living a life that shows honor to you. Lord, I just love you so much. And if you made that simple prayer this morning, or prayer similar to it, after the service, come up and see me, Rob, Matt, Aunt Jerry, anyone. <laughs> Tell somebody. Don't, don't hold it in. Don't be a closeted Christ follower. Let everyone know. Thank you, Lord. And we love you so much. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.